Welcome back to The Human Exception. Today, I bring you another piece of internet legend, the Snapewives. Most prominent in the early 2000s, the Snapewives, or as they prefer, Snapists, were a small group of women that were part of Snapism, a religious movement with Severus Snape of Harry Potter as its central figure. As always, expect foul language, but there will also be a lot of conversations about religion and direct comparisons between Snapism and Christian faiths. So if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, please listen with caution. Let's get ready for another Human Exception. please. Uh, Mom, I want, yes. Yeah, I want to stand on the crinkly plastic right next to me while I'm recording. <laughs> crunch, 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 crunch. All the crunches. All right, so sort of going first. Nathan's thing is going to kind of undo my thing, as it turns out. <laughs> no! <laughs> so I think I'll probably go first, and then you guys can fight over who goes next. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Works for me. Cool. We're going to start this off with saying, guys, what is a religion? Tell me what you think a religion is. <laughs> um, I was going to say it's a, uh, oh shit, it's a, um, a group of people who believe in a thing uh, without, without evidence for that thing. Yeah. I would I would sort of take that a little bit farther and and kind of say that or maybe add to it but it's more a group of folks who have similar similar beliefs and are trying to build a community around those beliefs um as a as a generalization Yeah okay So the Wikipedia definition is Religion is usually defined as a social cultural system of designated behaviors and practices, morals, beliefs, worldview, texts, sanctified places, prophecies, ethics, or organizations that generally relates humanity to supernatural, transcendental, and spiritual elements, although there is no scholarly consensus over what precisely constitutes a religion. Oh, so no one okay. knows. Wait, <laughs> so there's no you can get a doctorate in theoc in theology, but you can't define what a religion is? And scholars have been fighting over this for, like, centuries, apparently. And, like, the only reason we use the term religion now separate from a cult was, like, a, was like a rebranding of, like, wow. the churches and stuff. They were kind of like, yeah, but cults got such a negative association. We're a religion. I feel like religion doesn't have a good connotation in general. Not anymore. <laughs> no, not anymore, for sure. And but I yeah, think... you break it down, it's pretty much you have followers and you have beliefs that followers believe in. <laughs> I, I think that um, when, like in the past, when a person would refer to a, a cult, it would it obviously wouldn't have that negative connotation to it, but it was, I don't know, it maybe in the same way that you would. Oh, <sighs> 
I don't know. It was it was like a break off, right? Of a of a religion almost. Fringe no. religion. Or like subsects, I guess. Like I think they were just much more smaller and specialized. Yeah. Mm. I see it. And now I think they generally use the term sect, but even that has kind of like a, a negative connotation to it as well, because <laughs> oh, you're just like a smaller part of a, a religion, but you know, you're are you like an extremist or like a radical that thinks that yeah. maybe this part of the religion is wrong and you don't like the rest of the community. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the cults become such a loaded word now that you can't use it the way it was originally intended for. You say cult people immediately think Jonestown, right? So. Or Heaven's Gate. Or Heaven's Gate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can sit here listening to cults all night. <laughs> It'd be so much fun. <laughs> we, we can do that for an episode. Is there a <laughs> national cult day? Ooh. I'm sure there is. <laughs> oh, yeah. So followers and belief, this, this is like the only thing that like Scientology, Christianity, Hinduism, and the Satanic Temple have in common. Followers and beliefs. Because, you know, Satanic Temple doesn't have a god, doesn't believe in supernatural things. The Scientologists believe in aliens. Um, but... Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, they just have people to follow and they've got their beliefs. And the only thing that differentiates them from, like, Wicca or the Juggalos is tax-exempt status. That's it. Hey, but like, I firmly believe that the Juggalos should be tax-exempt. You could well, definitely form a church and then you would be tax-exempt. Which I think is bullshit. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, like that's because we said when we did the Satanic Temple, that's one thing we noticed was like it took them years to get recognized as a church to get that tax exempt yeah. status. So you yeah. have to be big and have money and lots of time. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> so I think bro. also they they had an uphill battle to start with just because they're fighting for the Satanic Temple in America. Yeah. <laughs> the branding so... didn't help them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so this is the natural transition into talking about the Snape Wives. Because <laughs> that's... <laughs> the natural transition? It is. Oh. We're going to talk about religion, kids. It's going to get wild. Um, so yeah, we've talked a bit about fandom on the show before. You know, the Gen Sega and then My Immortal. This story kind of falls in the middle of the two of those. Um, so, like... Harry Potter was first published in 1997, and unless somehow you lived under a rock for the next, like, 10, 15 years, you probably have a good idea of what the whole thing's about. In case you haven't, Harry Potter thinks he's a normal boy, gets a letter telling him he's a wizard, and over the course of seven novels goes to a wizard school, faces his destiny, which always seems to be strangely focused around his school, which is very convenient for a series that's each book represents a year of school. <laughs> So all these world-changing things happen at this school. And of course, if you guys, for some reason, have not known anything with Harry Potter, there's going to be spoilers here. So, um, also, her, also, J.K. Rowling is a turf, and we hate her, and she couldn't die in a fire. That is literally my next point. <laughs> oh, okay, cool, say, cool. As we're talking about Harry Potter, it's really important to open the discussion with J.K. Rowling is a piece of human trash, and now we can move on. <laughs> Uh, as with PETA, I'm contractually obligated to say fuck J.K. Rowling every time she comes up in conversation, so. It's legit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. PETA and J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yes. 
So yeah, throughout the series, um, one of the pseudo-antagonists of Harry Potter is Professor, Professor Severus Snape, played by the amazing Alan, Alan Rickman in the films. Um, Snape is a moody, with mis moody, mysterious guy that has some sort of weird resentment for the boy that lived, who always seems to be doing something really fucking sketch. Ultimately, it's found out that Harry Potter's dad and his friends used to bully the crap out of Snape back when they went to this, this very school. And oh yeah, Harry's dad stole Snape's only friend and love interest who didn't feel the same about him. So, TLDR, today we would consider Snape an incel. I was just gonna say it! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this probably sounds super controversial, but that is Snape in a nutshell. Like, he was a very controversial character in the fandom. Like, some people believe very vehemently that he got done dirty by Rowling and that he was actually a good guy, just misunderstood. And others recognize that when you look at him in the canon, he really isn't and does a very little job, like, very poor job at redeeming himself. Even his redemption arc, arc is pretty lackluster, but that kind of could be more Rowling than him. Because, yeah, let's just wrap this up real quickly and just pretend it never happened is pretty much what happens with him. But as user, as Reddit user, I was once a fangirl says, Snape had a precious special place in the fandom as that one character you really don't want to bring up around people who aren't your friends, lest the whole conversation devolve into a meaningless, meaningless bickering about whether or not he's a good person. I mean, he's not, though. Yeah, he's yeah. not. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> it's, it's not really a debate. <laughs> Yeah, so since the, since the beginning of time, stories have been the great unifier. We love to tell and hear stories, and good stories elicit an emotional responses. And when those responses are shared with others, we feel connected to them. And it's just like, you know, when we go through something horrible, we feel connected to the people that were there with us. Um, stories by their nature are a social experience, like originally told in small groups around fires and in amphitheaters and stages and eventually screens. And since the origin of story, there has been retellings. You hear a story, you share it with your friends, maybe you embellished, maybe you changed things you didn't like, or you simply forgot parts and then you pass it on and the story goes on. So like if we even stop and think about it, the Bible is a collection of stories by multiple authors interpreting a series of events based around the central character of God. Like, we teach this, like, this sort of holy text. So, really, the guys that are writing about the events that have happened, we're not there. <laughs> They're just okay. making shit up. <laughs> it is. Yep. Thank yep. you for it, but it is. The Bible is fan fiction. I sorry, will, I will live and die by that. Not sorry. <laughs> so one of the earliest authors to actually become famous while they were still alive is George Gordon, also known as Lord Byron lived between 1788 and 1824. This guy's work became so popular that to this day we use the term Byronic hero to refer to characters that harken back to Byron's penchant for moody, deep-thinking, romantically tragic figures. He fucked his sister. Sorry? Oh yes, there's, there's a lot of rumors. He's a fucking weird dude, guys. We have to cover him at some point. Yeah. <laughs> he his sister. <laughs> I think he fucked his sister. Yep. Okay. Anyway. That's anyway. all I, And he wrote great poetry. <laughs> yeah, he did that. That's uh, probably because he was fucking his sister. He <laughs> <laughs> did write great poetry. I don't need to be a poet. There's this whole thing about pretty much how he ran away from um, England because he was, like, full of debt and he slept with some woman whose, like, husband was out to kill him. So he just fucked off. And then that's when he started to write. <laughs> so <laughs> a sister could be in there, too. <laughs> Who knows? But anyways, um, in 1819, Lord Byron's physician, John Polidari, would take a fragment of a story that Byron wrote and then would complete it. And the story would go on to be called The Vampire. 
and actually is the earliest story about a romantic vampire long before Dracula and Camilla. And it's still considered a classic today and was essentially fan fiction of Byron's. <laughs> so we have many stories out there now. Like we think of today, obviously, like Fifty Shades of Grey was a fan fiction of Twilight, but the way that we've taken stories and like added to them as time went on and changed them, like that's just something humans do. Which makes it all the more complicated when the fact that people treat fan fiction like shit. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, My Immortal's not, like, the shining example of fan fiction. Everyone <laughs> knows about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Harry Potter, absolutely full of, of fan fiction. And one thing, if there's anything, it had a little bit more legitimacy. Because back when we all gave a shit about JK, what J.K. Rowling said, she actually was one of the few big authors that were vocally approved of fan fiction. Yeah, like 10 years ago, there was a huge debate over fan fiction and many authors were coming forward saying, no, don't like fan fiction's wrong. You know, you can't write about my characters, blah, blah, blah. But eventually that kind of cooled down and we're in a better place now. But yeah, 10 years ago, fan fiction was a very, very hot topic. Kind of see uh, it. Like you put a lot of time and effort into like creating characters and creating a world and writing is hard. And then you finally fucking get a book published and then a bunch of kids start making characters make out for no reason and doing my immortal things and then you're like wow why is life <laughs> but at the same time that generates so much more press and interest in your work like it's really just promotional material <laughs> you may not approve of it but <laughs> people get really into the fan fiction and they're not already into your thing they will probably get into your thing so you're probably wondering why there's a super long introduction to this topic and I haven't even talked to any about any of it yet. But I wanted to lay some groundwork and open your mind to the possibility that the Snape wives aren't just the butt of a fandom joke, but were in fact people with beliefs and emotions deeply invested in things they are passionate about. They just happen to be caught in the fandom wink crosshairs, which is a recipe for disaster no matter who you are or what you were doing. Topic that's really fucking easy to laugh at and mock. And... I think we're going to try and do the harder thing here and empathize with the situation, but we're still going to enjoy the bizarrity of this thing because this whole thing's fucking wild. Still going to laugh at them. But with respect. <laughs> I mean, res respectful-ish. Respectful-ish. We're not laughing at you. You know, I hate situation. but yeah. unless I do something really bad, then on which case, <laughs> you know, I will. So yeah, now for the preamble, we frequently call them the Snape Wives on the internet as what they're known as. Uh, they actually called themselves Snapists, practitioners of the Snapeism religion mo religious movement centered around everyone's favorite broody potions master, Severus Snape. In the early 2000s, everyone has at least two live journals, one personal one and one for writing, and I mean at least two, because I've come across people with 40-plus live journals. Like, it's wild. How did y'all manage to ship before, like, password keepers were a thing? Like, I don't know. They all had the same password. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's... That's why they all wound up being, getting hacked. Um, yeah. Yeah, fan fiction was commonly published on there, but also was published on a place known as the Pit of Voles, which is also known as fanfiction.net. Um, the Harry Potter fandom, which was already large and incredibly active, has only become bigger as the film adaptions have begun to hit theaters. It was a peak time to be a Harry Potter fan. People interact in fandoms in different ways. Some just gush about their favorite characters. Others comment on people's essays and analysis of the source materials. Some write fan fiction. Some form elaborate and massive live journal groups where every character is accounted for and role-played on the regular. Some form complicated religions with extensive guidelines and marriage rituals. So, 
the religion of Snapeism centers around the omniscient, ever-present Severus Snape. If you're familiar with this character, I'm sure you're wondering how this came to be, as an analytical look at him shows that some really unattractive elements, which is like <clears throat> cough racism, um, lots of that going on. And if you know the story, it's one that ends rather abruptly and much the rage of his loyal fans. That first line you had, it fucking killed me. <laughs> now, one thing to know is that the religion of Snapeism didn't really come into being until after the films became popular. In the books, like if you guys, I don't, I don't know if you guys read the books, did you? Yeah, I like the books better than I like the movies, although I do love Alan Rickman. Yes, Alan Rickman's wonderful. <laughs> and he's the one that can be blamed for this, is what I'm coming to. Because uh -oh. in the book... Understandable, honestly. Because <laughs> the book, Snape is a scrawny greaseball, frequently described in a very unattractive manner. But then we get Alan Rickman in the film, comes in with his deep, velvety voice, and that changes things. Also... He did Sense and Sensibility opposite Emma Thompson, who plays Trelawney in the Harry Potter movies. And he <laughs> plays, well, no, I think he actually, his love interest is um, Kate Winslet, but that's not the problem. But, like, he's a really good love interest in that movie. And I'm sure, I th think they're around the same-ish time. I'm just saying. Don't watch Harry Potter, watch that instead. <laughs> or Galaxy Quest. You never go wrong Galaxy with Quest. <laughs> If you, if you ever want to watch a movie and remember this lovely human that gave us all sorts of entertainment, those are the things to watch. <laughs> really, we rest in wherever you are, Alan Rickman. We love you. Um, so, obviously, Alan Rickman wasn't the only reason that the Snapists got really into it. Um, but also, one thing the Snapists were onto before the rest of us, like 15 years before the rest of us, was that J.K. Rowling is full of shit. <laughs> they were the first people to be like, no, fuck this bitch. Of course, their reasoning is not what we come to know now, but basically, the way that they saw this is the world of Harry Potter was a real universe somewhere far away, and that J.K. Rowling was just a faulty prophet that misinterpreted or purposely altered her visions telling the story of Snape inaccurately. Oh, yeah. Hey. <clears throat> this may seem like cherry picking and the promotion of a factually false narrative, but honestly, Christianity does this all the fucking time. And historically, not usually for the better. Because remember, kids, nowhere in the Bible does it say you're going to hell for being gay. <laughs> but everyone says it does. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself anyways. Um... As I was saying, Snape was very controversial. Because of that, it made the people that loved him care about him all the more for being oh so misunderstood. They sympathized with the fact that, you know, he was harshly bullied and couldn't get the girl. They related with the powerlessness of being overlooked for recognition and the pressure to conform to social norms. And these are absolutely valid points of the kind that we see in every fandom with their archetypical, morally gray and misunderstood character. There's always one. And there's something intrinsically relatable to a character like that if you've ever felt any sort of ostracization or like you're never given a chance when you feel like an underdog. Makes sense. Um, so one of the Snapists, Rose, would write this about, uh, <laughs> I guess, Harry Potter Snape in general. She said, I want to thank you, J.K.R., for being such a great writer, lol, though the last book was pure trash. <laughs> <laughs> And then she says she didn't like Snape, didn't like him from the get-go. That's why she so enjoyed making his life an utter misery. 
mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the group's dislike of JK would only increase with time later saying that Snape haunts howling out of anger. Needless to say, that's why you don't have peace is what they would say. <laughs> I love this idea. I, I hope that Snape's ghost is haunting Rowling somewhere. <laughs> so, as we get into what their religion is about, I have a quote here. Um, I believe that Severus Snape exists independently of JKR. He is a living, feeling spirit. I believe anything is possible, and that Severus does visit those that he chooses to. Says Tanya, in all caps. And Rose writes... The ones who believe will believe. Others just won't. Tough. Just like Christianity isn't for everyone, Master is the same. I just, this whole time, I just have Harry Potter puppet pals in my head, so. <laughs> fucking gem. Perfect. Back when the internet was good. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Before this about TikTok me. bullshit. I'm just kidding. I love TikTok. <laughs> So the most famous of the Snapists were known as Conchita, Rose, and Tanya. Tanya and Rose in particular appear to have been viewed as the leaders of this group and the ones to establish and change the rules as they deemed fit, of course, at Snape's behest. When challenged about their the beliefs, the group were quick to respond. As Conchita says, like, in response to the question, isn't he some fictional character from Harry Potter? She says, he is in the books, yes. That does not prove anything. Let's just say Severus Snape goes beyond that, as it's not easy to explain. I believe he is out there, real enough to communicate. Oh, okay. Yep. So Snape is Jesus. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Lol. <laughs> so I'm sure you're wondering, how exactly do you communicate with a Surly Potions teacher from another dimension? It's where we get to astral projection. So astral projection became really popular in LiveJournal in the early 2000s, especially among fandom and soul bonding groups. The idea being that you could enter a meditative state and your mind could then travel to what was called the astral plane. The belief usually popped up with the more extreme members of fandoms and the way this was utilized varied. Some used it to connect with their favorite fictional characters like the Snapists did. Some claimed to use this process to create shared spaces with those in their friend circles that allowed them to visit each other mentally, sometimes even in their dreams because of this connection. It wasn't uncommon to see believers write in their journal that they saw so-and-so last night in their dreams, and then so-and-so commenting and confirming that, yes, I felt this guy's presence, or something along those lines. The practice did tend to fade away a bit by the 2010, but surprisingly, a very similar practice called reality shifting began to get really popular in 2020, particularly on TikTok, which is something that Courtney, our resident TikToker, has said that she's seen while she's been perusing. Oh yeah, I know, that shit's wild. It's back, y'all. I and it's and it's it's mostly Harry Potter kids too. Like I went to Hogwarts and I shifted reality and I came back and I woke up and it had only been five minutes, but it'd been years at Hogwarts and I miss it. And then they just cry and I'm like, <laughs> I that seems like maladaptive dreaming. Oh, oh child, that's oh, a medical term. Boy. Oh, I'm really glad that there wasn't things like TikTok when we were kids. I'm just oh, saying. Man. We would be, our TikToks from childhood would be so embarrassing. It'd be so cringe. Think about how cringe our MySpaces were. Oh, God. <laughs> I had a vampire freaks, okay? So, like, that says everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, some Snapists claim that Snape visited them in their dreams, or sometimes they would suddenly feel his presence or get a whisper in their ear, often when they were in danger. On Kachita's journal, she says... 
He also visits me, talks with me, advises me, aids me, helps me grow and understand, as well as aids with life's bullshit. <laughs> Which I guess that's what you want out of a religious figure, right? <laughs> yep. So, obviously, not as a, this is not uncommon in other religions. There have been plenty of men and women that claim that their deity would speak to them and send them messages in some way. And, like, we see this all the time. <laughs> I think this comment. Um, so, but much like any other religion, not everyone felt the presence of Snape as intensely. That's where Tanya steps in, seemingly able to channel Snape at will. Basically, Snape could talk and express himself through her. So chat rooms would be created and people would come to then talk to Snape through her. Others in the group could channel him, including Rose, but Tonya in, partic uh, in particular was the one that claimed the most success in her channeling. Rose blamed her difficulties in channeling on, the, on Christian indoctrination. Rose saying, the reason I have a lot of problems channeling is because of the brainwashing of the church, which is also a legitimate complaint. Okay. Despite this, Rose fervently supported Tonya and, assisted, and attested that Tonya was indeed channeling Snape. Quote, when Tonya channels him, the surge that I receive and feel, the excitement, nervousness, giddiness, heart pounding, my hands literally shake. I'm Tonya just stated that it's never role play, believing fervently that what she is experiencing was her God moving through her. Oh. Okay. Yep. Excellent. So most of the time, this channel was just used for general conversations with followers, but sometimes Snape would make declarations or decrees through the channeler about the religion and its practice. In one case, Tonya announces as Snape that annoying, giggling fangirls whom they think that they understand him as being a cute, fluffy, funny being, he hates them. <laughs> oh, okay. And Snape also then says... I only give audience to those women that are strong and able to withstand my fierce temper, temper and do as I say. I totally ignore those vain, simpering females that hold thought like a, like a leaky sieve. Time. Anytime anyone refers to people as females, red flag. <laughs> yeah. So the group, believe anyone within the group could channel Snape, um, though for some it was more difficult than others. There was ways to boost your success at channeling. One of the ways that Rose and Tanya did this was create a room in Rose's house where posters of Snape were hung. This became a sacred space to the women and the place where they felt most connected to Snape. And in a journal entry by Rose, she says, After we rehung some of Master's pictures in this room, I felt a harsh shove push, push against my back and I fell forward on the floor, my hands catching. I was kneeling on hands and knees before my Master. Oh, okay. And this only sounds batshit because it's about a fictional character. <laughs> oh, it feels... It, it's, it, it could be anyone, and it would be batshit. Yeah. It could yeah. be really yes. any Especially religion, bad right? Shit. And there's people that... A... Yeah. <sighs> uh, so Conchita had a lot of trouble connecting with Snape, unable to channel him like the others claim to, and only really experienced him in the rare dream or feeling his presence. And this is something that she struggled with a lot, often making her feel really anxious and unloved by him. At one point, Kachita suddenly didn't feel Snape's presence and her dreams about him ceased. Basically, her, his absence made her feel sad and dark. She settles on the hideous truth that her life is too boring for Snape, begging, Severus, I will always love you. Please don't ignore me. Please notice me. I miss you. Her poems are Excuse a vivid... <laughs> yes. Her poems are a vivid representation of the darkness and turmoil, lamenting her, quote, wasted life and her realization that we will never be joined in another dimension. Oh, that is really sad. 
It is. Like, you know, these women obviously legitimately believed in this. And this poor woman, like, all of her friends are claiming these religious experiences. And she's like, it's not happening to me. Is there something wrong with me? Baby Courtney in church. (laughs) (laughs) So many followers wrote extensively about Snape in their journals. Uh, Tanya in particular stated on her journal, Severus Snape may speak here. This is his journal as well. Okay. But there was another way for the followers to connect with him, and that was through the writing of fanfic. So Rose spoke about the benefits of her writing fanfiction. She says, I used to be a shy wallflower backwards and had a hard time talking about things. Over time, Severus Snape helped me explore me. He helped me write two very in-depth and sexual-laden fanfictions. No. And through them, I discovered myself. No. But this isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, I just... It, it's upsetting because how old is this person? Oh, she's uh, she's in her middle ages. Okay, still weird that it's a, a fictional character, but also okay. I thought it was yeah, a teenager. Well, it's like, you know, if writing something helps you work through your shit, fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. If it's smut, fine. <laughs> Just take it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is obviously a complicated topic. In one particular instance, Snape, through Tanya, expresses distaste with a man-on-man fanfic involving him, saying, I will not tolerate this so-called slash movement. Oh. Which slash is the term among fanfics to de- describe two men getting together, typically ones that are not together in canon. There's a lot of that. <laughs> a lot of, of Snape's slash fiction or just slash, slash fiction in general? general. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I wish Hallie was here for this because, yeah. Um, slash fiction is. I learned about slash fiction when I was 14. Oh. When my friend told me about it on a bus ride, she's like, yeah, so I was reading Slash last night, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's like, well, it's like when two male characters get together, the thing, and like people just write stories about it. I'm like, what? And it's, it is the thing. It's one of the most popular genres on, if you go on AO3, which is the new fanfiction.net, that is one of the most popular, popular like, pairing types. You're going to get your heterosexual pairings, and obviously there's going to be your lesbian pairings, but man on man is probably the like fifty percent of the stuff that's out there when it comes to like romantic fan fiction. And it's usually women writing it. Yeah. That makes it better. It's usually what? It's usually women that write it. Oh yeah. Girls love their yaoi. Yaoi? I I don't speak Japanese. Or what does enemy darkness say? Bisexual guys are so, so sexy. <laughs> no, which is no shade to bisexual guys. No. Gay guys. Do your fucking thing, None. Rocket. Um, so yeah, the idea or an idea was repeatedly reinforced that Snape's, Snape needed to feel in control and empower. And he strongly detested being humiliated or being made to feel inferior. The group worked hard to uphold this respect, and their fervent belief often made them react harshly to other Snape fans. Rose, for instance, becomes infuriated over the treatment of a highly realistic Tonner brand Snape doll. She was appalled that after reading of Snape's teenage humiliations in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, fans would deem it appropriate to check under his clothes and see if he has knickers on, and take pictures of his naked rump on the internet. She states, I would never dare disrespect Master in such a humiliating manner. It's just kids taking pictures of dolls. 
Man, I hope she doesn't find out what bronies do with their dolls. (laughs) All I have to say, please don't. (sighs) That's all I have to say. Well, I mean, if you don't already know. If you don't already know, please probably don't, don't Google it. Yeah. Fandom in general, don't go deep. Don't go deep nope. unless you're ready for Thanks it. Thanks <laughs> for level, man. There's something wrong with being shallow. Be shallow. Stay shallow. Yeah. Don't know things. That's fine. Yeah, you no, don't need no, to know no, everything. No, no, anyone's yum. Do your thing. But just be aware if you're going in those spaces and no. unaware. <laughs> just, you know, be careful. Yeah. Don't force your office, yum on anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Be respectful of everyone else's yum. As long as you're not hurting anyone, we're all fine. So the women office stated that Snape was not an easy master. In fact, I've got a graphic here that uh, Rose put together. She made a lot of these. Which is, just, uh, for the people at home, this is just a collection of uh, screenshots of Snape. And it says, I am not an easy master, across it in red text. <laughs> not an easy, or in caps. And it's kind of italicized. And it's <laughs> so bad. Alan, why? <laughs> <laughs> not everyone can it's also it's obviously that. done in like paint oh yeah it's oh, definitely yeah. a paint how can it um, not be <laughs> but yeah he would often challenge demand them to do difficult tasks for their long term benefit including eating better you know stop biting your nails or easing up on swearing kind of thing Kajita talks about committing to a diet for Snape saying I can't risk losing the only man I love so dearly over body fat, can I? But Conchita never quite seemed dedicated enough, according to Tanya. In one instance, what Tanya says was, all she had to do was give her control over to him. He will not allow a female to collar him or guide him about like he's got a ring in his nose. It, so, it gives me the X. Yeah. <laughs> well, many women in the circle believe that Snape was a dom. Uh, which, again, you know, do your thing. But Conchita was vehemently against this idea and expressed disgust about, like, Rose's fan fiction wherein she expresses serious, like, sadomasochistic kinks and stuff like that. And apparently it seems like there was some sort of non-consensual, relation, or non-consensual relations in there, which made Conchita feel like Rose couldn't possibly love and respect him if this is how she writes about him. She made him a dom? Well, she made him a dom, but also a sadomasochist, and apparently there's something about um, a non-consensual encounter. Somebody. Yeah. And I don't know I mean, if that's... Like, I didn't find the... I can't verify the fiction myself. I don't know if that's just because it was, like, super aggressive tech, sex, and she deemed it that way, or if it was non-consensual sex. Since it's a self-insert fiction with Rose as the character... Maybe she's just hard jealous. To, yeah, yeah, and that could just be it. And like, you know, and Kachita could just be more conservative or just not into that kind of thing, which is yeah. fair. So the part that y'all waiting for is the part of being dedicated to Snapus was committing yourself entirely to Snape, aka marrying him. What? I have a sample of the vows that was recited during the ceremony. <laughs> I thought I thought Snape wives was a joke. I didn't know that no. they actually married him. Yeah, so, like, they actually married him, and that's where, like, people making fun of them got the idea from and called them Snape wives. Because they married him. So they're, um, like, nuns. They're Snape nuns. Yes. So, Conchita's vows was basically, I promise to be always faithful in body and mind and never love another man. 
I promise to love and cherish you all my life. I promise to respect and honor you all of my life. I promise to dedicate all of my life to you. I promise to stand by you in good times and in bad times. I promise to protect and guard you and prevent you from any harm. I promise to provide anything you need. I promise to take the best care of you. I promise to use your name with respect that it deserves. I promise to always wear the ring with your name in it as a symbol of my love. I promise to obey you no matter what. I promise to respect your wishes and not be selfish. I promise to look after you in sickness and in health. Way more involved than my wedding vows. <laughs> and here we have a Photoshop by Rose of her and Tonya with uh, Snape. This looks sad. Um. Yeah, this is how they, you know, visualize their weddings. Right. So this obviously sounds really weird, but is not unusual as, as you would think. And like Courtney said, nuns, because the Catholic Church has a word for this, and they're called consecrated virgins. Basically, a consecrated virgin is a woman who has been consecrated by the Church to a life of perpetual virginity as a bride of Christ. The first known time that this marriage ritual was performed was in 353 A.D., being the, the bride being St. Marcelina. The practice would eventually kind of fall out of favor, and we wouldn't really see it for a while until, like, 1970. But as of 2018, there's thought to be 5,000 living brides of Christ, which kind of makes a couple dozen Snape wives seem like small potatoes. Couple dozen? We don't know the exact numbers. <laughs> <laughs> These two bitches! What is there, life? Con Conchita, um, Rose, and Tanya all married him. Assumed that other people in the group did too. <laughs> wow. I say also, I say bitches with uh, love and respect, not in a mean way. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify that because it sounded bad there for a second. And we have a poem here that Rose wrote in regard to her marriage. This, of course, is on a great, you know, Photoshop. It says, rose, rose are red, black ones are too. Love and obsession, that's what we do. Love and trust, unity and support with family and friends is a must. Guiding and loving each other on this way, listen to what all have to say. Master's hand is strong and solid. Abide, obey, do as he says. Life and eternity will be a success. Mm. Which again, no. you do you. But I just keep looking at their wedding photo and like the very dated headpiece. Uh, it just looks sad. And I just, the whole thing. Oh, also, I just read the text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the wedding photo says Severus and his brides, watch out. <laughs> and gothic text. Gothic text, yes. And there's really caps nice. in there and some exclamation points. The way you and do. It says, at the, in the bottom corner. Um, no, it's SSKA. Um, that was uh, oh, Rose's... Uh, get out the trumpets. <laughs> it's Rose's <laughs> blog name. Um, now, there's one thing about these consecrated virgins is that they were completely celibate. But for the Snapists, it's a little more complicated. They oh, did no. see their marriages as a very serious spiritual commitment. But many of these women were middle-aged, some already married and with children. The intent was that you should give yourself body and soul to Snape, and many claimed to do so, becoming celibate and only engaging in sexual activity with Snape via the astral plane. 
But the women that were already married, this was kind of skated around. According to Tanya, Snape appeared in vivid vision, demanding that she treat her husband with the same respect that she gives him. You know that Tanya claimed that Snape regularly possessed her real-life husband, especially during sex. So apparently his body, his spirit would enter her husband's body. So whatever he was doing, if he was particularly affectionate, it would be Snape, not her husband. It's just showing Snape Aww. just how much he loves her. Uh, Snape showing his wife how much he loves her. It's unclear. it's unclear if the husband realized he was being possessed or even knew about his wife's spiritual marriage. <laughs> so, Tonya does recount a spat that she had with her husband, saying, quote, My husband offended him by saying he was not real. He got revenge by making my husband appear to not exist at his job. Which I don't know what that entailed. Like, did he go into work one day and people didn't know who he was? Like, how? <laughs> okay. I feel, like, I feel like that's a made-up story. There's a couple of those in here. <laughs> so, or maybe, maybe her husband just didn't do any work when he was there. Who knows? Maybe. Um, Rose's relationship with her husband wasn't as close, though. Um, Rose had the typical kind of relationship problems with her husband, such as feeling unappreciated or bored by the mundane nature of married life. In one entry, she criticizes Kevin, her husband, for buying magazines for himself and not thinking to get her anything special. She's also frustrated that he spends his evenings reading magazines rather than paying attention to her when they have time together. In, in a journal entry, she says, I mean, we are still in love, but I think more and more we are very much used to each other. Why do I say that? Because wherever we go, I barely hold his attention anymore. And he looks around or stops here and does that. Not to look at other chicks or anything, just stuff. I think I know now why so many women my age have affairs. Because things at home have become mundane. And another post, Rose says, I could be sitting next to him in a hot nighty or nothing at all, and he barely notices me. No wonder I'm, fe- I'm more and more feeling, or more and more fleeing into the world of master. And, you That's know, really it's, sad. Yeah, and it's theorized that many of the women that were in relationships like this were or had relationships like that where they weren't close with their partners, and this gave them a way to fulfill things that they weren't getting out of their actual relationship. Which is, you know, it is very sad. But it is not clear the relationship status for many of the other followers, though there are claims that some of the, some women left their boyfriends or husbands to fully commit themselves to Snape. Others claim that if Snape could ha- have multiple wives, they could have multiple husbands. So there was no consistency at all. And this would be a major point of contention in the group. While some women claimed to have vivid sex lives of Snape, others had a harder time. But again, Tonya would step in to assist. No. Tonya offered her services to the others, other followers through one-on-one chats where she would channel Snape and engage in sexting with the other party. Rose in particular was a big fan of the service. Uh, no. And now, like, you know, it's not uncommon for people really involved in fandom to, you know, role-play sex scenes as characters and stuff like that. This is just a little different. Yeah. I don't know. It feels weird and manipulating, though. Because they they seem to truly believe that they can channel the spirit of Snape, which is a wild thing to say. Um, <clears throat> and to, like... It, it doesn't seem quite the same to me somehow, yeah. you know? Well, yeah, because, like, when you're going into it as a role-play situation, it's consensual from both sides. You know what you're getting into. 
but you know, it does uh, feel you, abusive you know in a way. Person, yeah, you know the other person isn't like fucking I don't know. The yeah, well, it's like the thing we see with those high control like cults and stuff where you know, leader ends up sexually abusing people. It's like, yes, come have sex with me so that we can, you know, yeah. talk to God together or something, right? Or I can civil you with my dick magic. Yeah, I, and I think I've even heard of ones where like the guy was like, I am I am Jesus now yeah. when we are making love and it just doesn't feel good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it, it feels like a, it's a it's a it's a weird thing. Like if Tanya hundred percent believes this is what's happening, then it's less manipulative. But it's also like I've never you know bought that much into something, so it's hard for me to put myself in that position. <laughs> so most of the women in the group seem to see each other as sister wives, and jealousy didn't really seem to be much of a thing. Conchita, on the other hand, though, didn't seem to be as liberated with her sexuality nor as open-minded. She found the erotic fan fiction about Snape to be distasteful and seemed to judge the other women in the group that produced it, especially those who wrote about the, sec- the experiences that, the, the per- that they personally claimed to have had with Snape, as Conchita believed that the stuff should be remain private in between, obviously, you and your god kind of thing. Conchita claimed that to be so dedicated to Snape that she swore off all partners and even once talked about how annoyed she was when a co-worker developed a crush on her. Conchita would say that she refuses to even masturbate as she felt that that broke her vows. Oh, honey. Makes me feel like Conchita was struggling with some other stuff as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, in one of her journals, she says, I am Severus's woman, so I will not be with other men. Being with Severus is satisfying enough. Why would I ever need another man? Conchita also seemed to struggle at times reconciling the fact that Snape had other wives. While most of the time she seemed to be okay with it, there were a few instances where she was feeling particularly disenfranchised from the group and of, or of Snape that she would write, she'd make, she'd make, make scathing remarks about Snape's, Snape's promiscuity and polygamy. Tony and Rose did not approve of this and would clearly indicate that they understood the snake left her and needed to be respected and that needed to be respected so like they weren't ever going to try and break them up but through conversations between the group implied that they're annoying they had a, quite the annoyance at Conchita's behavior in a conversation with Conchita Snape through Tonya said I will let you think of my words I'm still here I won't leave you ever however I will remain silent putting the Ooh. fact that Conchita has difficulties connecting with Snape squarely on her shoulders for not being devoted enough. Conchita would take Snape's words to heart and it's like yeah, I'm your god. Your god says that I'm going to give you the silence treatment now and that's why you're not hearing from me. You're already struggling with this situation. So manipulative. Uh, that's so fucked manipulative. up. Um, so later so uh Conchita would, would post to say, I discovered this selfishness was not according to my vows, so I renewed them again, and this time I have made a promise to remind myself daily that love is not selfish and is meant to be enjoyable for all. And then she, she, she concedes, we all share the same love, and that is a good thing. So frequently the group compared Snapism with traditional religions, pointing out the fact that their beliefs were not that different, and some of them had their own experience with these traditional religions, and it may be part of what led them down this road. Rose states, I don't answer to any religion, only to Severus, my guide, master, and much more. She says that she felt alienated by Christianity and had trouble connecting with the Christian God, whom she describes as, quote, very distant. 
She describes her previous congregations as morally hypocritical and complains that a lack of answered prayers was always blamed on her. Rose was also unhappy that she had to give up her attachments to supernatural entities such as vampires. She explains, she says, you can't serve two masters. However, the part was very much, however, that part was very much part of me and it was a constant tug of war. Luckily, Master came along and permitted her a system of beliefs that she found more comfortable and consistent. As opposed to her experience with the Christian God, she says, Master's voice I can hear loud and clear. I know when I do wrong, and I know when he's pleased. And, like, I think a lot of people have that kind of relationship with, like, a church and stuff. Like, everyone's claiming all these experiences, and, you, and if you aren't buying into that, you don't feel like you belong. And if you ask questions, people are like, well, you should just have faith, right? Yeah. Uh, Rose also describes Snape as real as much as the Christian God is too. And another thing she says, do I need help? No more than usual. Am I delusional? Lol, are Christians delusional? The delusional? No. But she makes a valid point. There's not much of a difference here. The only difference is her God is a lot newer than Jesus or God is. <laughs> and I don't believe in a Christian God. Um, I also don't believe in Severus Snape. But does it make the followers of those beliefs any and their emotions any less real? No. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, aside from spiritual sex, many members reported other benefits of being devoted to Snape. It was reported that Snape was a healer, helping relieve Rose's period pain and soothe her knee and leg pain in cold weather with an enchanted blanket. Potion Master also suggested helpful remedies, giving Tanya a potion made of ginger for her upset stomach. There was also mental and emotional anguishes that he helped with as well. Tanya claimed that when she had panic attacks, he would be there for her to help her through it getting her to name nearby plants and trees as a distraction so that she could calm herself down. Which is like, again, like, if that's what helps you get through that, then fucking do it, because that shit's tough. Like, yeah. Um, Snape also seemed to be of a particular help when the women were in danger. Now, these are some of the stories that you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna tilt your head at. Um, one of Tanya's non-specified friends was aided by him in such an event where, quote, she was being robbed and Severus shoved her down and caused the lights to go out. She said, she said that clearly in her head she heard his voice telling her to stay down. Which then doesn't really provide an end to that story. Like, she just stay down until the robber was gone or something? Like... Yeah. But, you know, Tanya's got some stories to tell that... We have a little more context around. So Tonya was robbed at work when she failed to heed Snape's advice about not opening the door late at night. And in a more fortunate scenario, Tonya was saved by Snape, Snape when she was home alone in the early hours of the morning. She heard him scream, girl, get up and get a knife now, and announced that her doorknob was going to turn. She was unable to see any intruder, but considers that this event to be life-saving. House fire, mm. but waking her up before the flames could take hold. He's also quite protective. In one case, Tonya claims that Snape caused her father-in-law to have a heart attack and assisted in her brother getting arrested after she sh shared concerns about his drug problems with Snape. 
these are kind of the, these are kind of the, the more of the stretch stories, and the, these are the kind of stories that feel so manipulative to the rest of the women in the group. Like, oh, he's doing yeah. all these beautiful things for me. And of course, we have uh, another photo shop by Rose. These are like so peak, like Geo Cities. I love them. <laughs> So oh, yeah, picture sure. of Snape with Rose's head against his chest and says, I am always right here with you. With right capitalized capitalized for some reason. Wow. Pragmatically, Rose later writes, I know some will put some will put all this off as mere coincidence and such. But you know, I know. We know what is happening to us. We know what we feel. We know what is real and what is not. Yeah. Subjective, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, in 2006, the Snapist would appear on Fandom Fandom Wink is the short term. Um, a group on it's a group on Live Journal that basically is intended for people in fandoms to look at other people in their fandom and then collectively point and laugh at just how weird and awkward they are. Um, quote: The highly popular Fandom Wink community reveled in the wives, finding their journal entries both shocking and hilarious. Several reports were filed on their activities, coupled with a range of satirical gestures, such as a Broadway musical made up of popular songs with new lyrics about their sexual madness. Um, stories from the Gen Sega would also wind up in Fandom Wake. So, oh. you imagine, imagine this is a very wholesome group with the best intentions. There's they were just doing nothing but promoting their sisters in the Harry Potter fandom and celebrating their dedication. Mm -hmm. AKA, this is full-out cyberbullying. Like, there's no way of fans butts about it. That's what it was. People get put on here, and it's weird. So, like, what's with, you know, like, us nerds that we feel like we have to punch others down? Like, we're nerds, but at least we're not as nerdy as those nerds over there. It's, it's like some sort of grade school, like, self-defense mechanism where we throw under people under the, other people under the bus so that we're not targeted like i don't understand this behavior i feel like that's probably part of it especially if i think especially if for whatever reason the two like your two groups just don't mesh for whatever reason it's easier to be like well at least we're not like them yeah it's fair. In 2014, Zoe Alderton, a PhD candidate in the Department of Studies in Religion at the University of Sydney, wrote a paper titled Snape Wives and Snapeism, a fiction-based religion within, within the Harry Potter fandom. And in it, she writes, quote, This anxiety towards fiction-based religions and the behavior of their adherents is based upon a general fear within fandom of being excessively outrageous and pushing the boundaries of good taste too far. By policing extreme manifestations of the Harry Potter fandom, other eccentricities can be placed in a more neutral category of ironic or playful, as opposed to, quote, insane. This boundary policing is, is a violent and under-researched manifestation in fandom communities. Yeah, the Snapewise have academic papers about them. Wild. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, one of the, like, it's one of the few, like, um, fiction religions that we have a lot of information on just because it was so it went so viral about like oh look at these crazy women kind of thing right mm. now this also makes me like what you were saying nathan it's like oh yeah this lesser group or whatever let's sacrifice them kind of thing um we kind of see that a lot of time the groups that kind of get thrown into this are groups that 
are more into the more controversial characters, usually the villains. Uh, and this makes me wonder if Jen and Jack had focused on a more popular characters than Hojo and Genova, they may have been able to stay under the radar much longer. Theo said to me that part of being a Ho- and part of being part of the Hojo fandom was a double-edged sword. That you'd meet people just as passionate as you, but you would also meet people who conflated your choice of character with your own moral fiber, and people would come out of nowhere to insult you or insinuate that you're a horrible human without any evidence in the slightest, just because of the- this is the character that you have on your like profile or some shit. And like I can attest to this. Uh, I'm a cosplayer, and I used to be part of a large Game of Thrones group. My character was Cersei Lannister, and if you're not familiar with Game of Thrones, she's one of the bad guys. And I'd go to cons, and I'd have complete strangers come up to me and call me a bitch or tell me that they hate me. And I've had people ask me if I was into incest, as Cersei is famously in a relationship with her twin brother. I am not Cersei, nor have I ever thought that I was or ever wanted to be. It's not how her crimes or horrific actions were juxtaposed on me as if I were simply because I was wearing a wig and a dress. Wild. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, it's like it's some cosplayers kind of take it as a badge of honor as like, oh, you did such a good job cosplaying. That's that they they react that way as if you were the character. (laughs) But it's also kind of just like, it's it's like, what the fuck? That's. I've heard of, I've heard of similar things, but I just thought it was like because I've heard of ones where like people will be cosplaying a character and someone will come up and be like, "Oh, oh, Princess Peach, won't you marry me?" Yeah, and then people there's, are like, yeah, there's and the worst not. Yeah, and then there's the other side. Yeah, or like, or like the character they're playing is a promiscuous character, and then they like try to come and uh, yeah. touch touch the cosplayer. But I've never heard of someone being like, because I. Like, I could see, I don't know, I just can't believe that, like, someone would be like, oh, you, you must be a yeah. bitch. If it hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't have believed it, because it seems so bizarre and no one talks about it. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's, it's weird. And, like, Cersei's the only character that I happened to be with. I don't tend to cosplay a ton of villains, so, you know, I haven't had another experience like that. And Cersei, especially when Game of Thrones was at its peak was like so fucking hated everywhere understandably so rightfully so but like you know it's just that kind of fan reaction i've never experienced anything like it other than well yeah i had the opposite experience we're kind of talking about the kind of fan worship where the one time i did poison ivy i had Mm. like an inordinate amount amount of attention to me that i've never had in my life before and i'm like what the fuck is going on (laughs) it's because i'm wearing like you know this bodysuit and barely any clothes i guess and as one of DC's top hot chicks, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, the main reaction for the Snapeisms, Snapeists, in regards to like f- being called out on these forums and stuff, was they would support each other and kind of carry on. Um, after one of the Fandom Week reports was filed, Rose responded to her detractors with the following statement. She says, "The way I see things is that we tend to limit ourselves, our beliefs, our understandings, and our willingness." To what society? Because people tend to be afraid of what they don't understand. Oh well, your lo- your loss, my gain. Does that make me sick? No more than many others. However, I do tend to have and live a real life with my hubby, my cats, my plants, my friends, and my master. I stand where I stand, and ever so proudly. Much like fucking yeah, girl, go for it. Yeah. You you flag you you fly that freak flag. As long as you're not hurting anyone. Exactly. 
Conchita. So tensions with Conchita continue to escalate, and she seems to be getting frustrated with Tonya's constant claims that she is channeling Snape. At one point, Conchita says, If Severus Snape wants to speak with you, he will do so himself. Believe me, no one could ever impersonate him other than the real man's spirit. Do not believe medium slash channelers that say they know him for years and spread his word. Perhaps one day they, they used to, as sometimes we can all catch something from the other side. But mostly they tell you, most things they tell you are lies and nonsense. Do not believe it. And please do not let it affect you. It is damaging. There we get a voice of reason. So like, Conchita begins to notice that some of the followers seem to be getting silenced by Rose and Tonya, and um, she kind of does her best to help those followers, and her actions and rhetoric that we see from this kind of point on kind of seems to mirror a lot of the common, like, anti-cult discourse that we see. Um, and, like, I'm glad somebody in this group was there to provide that option for other people. Like, mm -hmm. if you're all into it, fine, cool, but, like, <laughs> it's very easy to abuse somebody in this mindset. At uh, one point with an interaction with uh, Tonya, Conchita responds saying, No matter what you do, you will not be able to make him leave me. He will see who is truthful and faithful and who isn't. His words do mean a lot to me, not your made-up fantasy stories. Naturally, she eventually turns on Tonya, stating that she believes that Tonya's Snape channeling journal was a forgery and that it made Snape cringe in irritation. We are beginning the fall of the Snape waves. Tonya and Rose had a very close relationship, and being one of the few members to live near each other, they frequently hung out in person. Time apart was painful, as Tonya put it. It feels like a huge hole in my gut that is missing something, like I am dead. But sitting here typing to you, I feel filled again. I can't function without you. But everything wasn't all good, and some things began to put pressure on the relationship. A big one being Rose's new budding interest in Agent Gibbs, a character from NCIS. Oh no. <laughs> Rose began to Photoshop images of both Snape and Gibbs in domestic scenes, and this really bothered Tonya. Ultimately, we... Sorry? I tried to form a sentence, and I couldn't. <laughs> I just... Fair. Nope, keep going. Ultimately, we don't know what exactly caused the falling out between Rose and Tanya. It's only hinted at vaguely, though it's suspected that Rose's interest in Agent Gibbs may have played a large part in it. Rose alluded to the online fight that occurred between them, but there's no records of that. Um, Rose would make a statement in regards to Tonya saying, It could have been a total bitch like she was, and she's, like she was when she slammed me on her LJ live journal. And in another journal entry about the split, Rose gives a few more details. And she mentions that Tonya's husband dragged her over to Rose's house because she had been miserable and been missing her estranged friend. Tonya apologizes to Rose and asks for her Snape posters back, thinking that Rose had moved on from her master and would no longer desire them. And Rose considered this a laughable mistake as she writes in her journals, LOL, LOL, not even when hell freezes over. I love him. I always will. will period. End of story. When Snape captured my heart in 2000, that was that. Sure, I have another. I now have another interest, but oddly enough, Jethro Gribbs from NCS, NCIS reminds me a lot of Severus. Tonya Brooks was my lily. She couldn't accept me for who I was. She couldn't deal with the close friendship that we had. Um, his name is Leroy Jethro Gibbs, so... All right. <laughs> you faker. <laughs> well, you, can, you can look Rose up and tell her. I will. Oh, she made in like 2007. Like, was wrong. 
She's moved on since then to someone else. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this whole thing with this with Tonya and Rose, like with Tonya being Snape, the Connor was for Snape all the time, and especially since um, Rose took advantage of her uh, sexting services a lot. I kind of have a feeling that like Tonya may have had like a crush on her or something. And that comment about when we're apart, I feel like I have a hole in my stomach. Yeah. Exactly. And then, like, when she starts moving on to a new character, she feels like she's losing her, and, like, maybe she doesn't feel like this is something she can express, especially since she's in a heterosexual marriage. Yeah. It's all speculative, of course. And, like, these women were frequently accused of being lesbians, so they weren't actually, like, you know, obviously, it wasn't about Snape that they were just having sex with each other, right? you know, sexting with each other. But, like, this is a legitimate, like, theory with the, with these two, that there may have been something there, at least on Tonya's side, I think. So, Snapeism didn't end in a bang, but more of a dismissive grunt as slowly the group drifted apart. And by the time the last book was released on July 21st, 2007, the group was already a shadow, shadow of its former self. With the book's release, things just further faded away. Still, many in the fandom fought back, demanding that JK change Snape's fate. A petition was made, but only received 220 out of the 100,000 signature goal. Conchita, having already mostly pulled away from the group, accepts Snape's death, creating a website as a tribute to Snape as a way to celebrate his memory, where many others in the fandom were like, no, he's not actually dead, there's no body. So there's, it's a thing. Hey. Um, famously, um, Conan Doyle killed Sherlock way back in the day, in the book times, and mm-hmm. he, there was a massive letter-writing campaign, and it actually caused him to resurrect Sherlock Holmes. And so like, people are like, if we harass JK enough, she'll bring Snape back. So in late 2010, Rose still makes collages of Snape and dreams of him. He, her beliefs in the possibilities of supernatural is still quite consistent, and she marks that the differences between reality and illusion are merely eons worth of societal brainwashing. In a comment on a blog of a new friend, Rose says, I used to be obsessively huge into Harry Potter, but more so Rose Snape. I'm not a lesbian, but was, I, was, I was accused of being one. So she seems to have moved on. Well, mostly Wild. remembered... In, yeah. Well, mostly remembered in the Internet Hall of Fame as just another super cringy live journal fringe group, the Snapists have encouraged some serious introspection, peer-reviewed scholarly papers on the validity of fiction-based religions and practices, which really just demonstrates just how faulty our definition of religion is and just how shitty humans can be to each other. One popular theory about what happened to the Snapists and why they were treated so badly comes down to the age-old problem of sexism. Extreme fan behavior is almost always associated with women. Yet the men that take their shirts off, scream men's names in bars, and chest bump over their man crush's goal are considered completely normal. These men spend countless hours, waking hours, watching games, talking about them with their friends, playing elaborate games of fantasy insert your sport here. They wear jerseys and hats. They will get into fistfights over their allegiances with their different teams. Hell, in, states, there's, in the States, there's always a football game on Thanksgiving, and a number of men leave their women or their wives to slave away in the kitchen for hours on end while they drink beer and yell at the TV. Like, this is considered completely normal. And like in all discussions of fandom, for some reason, this is excluded. When sports is, like, one of the biggest fandoms there are. So. Yep. People make fantasy teams 
where they get to play a like the coach of their fantasy team. You might call it a fanfic. Yep. (laughs) In 2011 in Vancouver, which is where Nathan and I live, there was a riot. There was a Stanley Cup, and the beloved Vancouver Canucks failed to take the win against the Boston Bruins. So obviously the appropriate reaction is to riot. Cars were flipped, windows were smashed, fires were started. I have a friend that was on a bus on her way home from work when it got stopped by the riot. Thankfully, one brave man stood there and refused to let the rioters inside who just wanted to smash and destroy the bus. In total, 140 people were injured, one critically, four people were stabbed, nine cops were injured, 101 people were arrested, and charges continued up until 2015 with a total of 887 charges against 300 people. So, yeah, women writing erotic fan fiction and drawing hearts around characters' faces are the crazy ones. Remember Turning Red came out? And people were giving, like, getting upset because she was writing, like, love fanfic between her and, like, the... Yeah. Whatever he is. A crush, and then I think again in, like, about the, the boys to boy town, whatever it's called. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yep. yes exactly and people got so angry about it and we were like yeah what do you think 13 year old girls do I used to do that when I was a kid I used to draw like the boys I liked kissing me and like us getting married and shit like that's normal 100% but women aren't allowed to like sex obviously no or you know express our feelings and it's like we're, we're, not, like, we're not allowed to even like things in general because anything a woman like is obviously emasculating stupid yeah yeah, like, if you are a teenager, you're considered hormonal, and if you're in your 20s or 30s or older, you're pathetic and have no life and obviously can't get a man. And God forbid you bring sex into the equation because, obviously, we're not allowed to like sex. Nope. Um, one thing, there was a study on fandom uh, done several years ago, and in the study it says, when I think of the exuberance I felt participating in, the, participating in the fandom, I think it was seeing women step forward to describe their own erotics because our culture silences women's desires. There are plenty of men in these fan spheres that are just as invested and just as, quote, extreme as the women. One day we'll talk about the Matrix cult and Andy Blake, but they are not, they're not shamed or made fun of, of even a fraction as any femme-identifying person is. Even looking at Jen, who is a horrible person in her own right, the bulk of online discourse is making fun of her appearance, her weight, and being a gross, desperate fangirl. All of which have nothing to do with why she's actually problematic. If she happened to be what we deem conventionally attractive, I am sure the discourse would instead be that she was a fake nerd girl, or that I'd let her abuse me any day. Yup. Well, the Snapists are long gone, having been bullied off of every account that they once had and purging everything they ever put online. It will likely never resurface in any way that we'll notice. Like, Dara, like Tara Gillespie, what happened to them may forever remain a mystery. But hopefully, if they ever do come out again, we can treat them with a little more respect and consideration. They weren't hurting anybody. The only ones doing harm in the situation were those that chose to harass and make fun of them. That's Snape Waves. Wild. I could totally see it coming back, especially with, like, if shifting becomes as popular as it was again. Totally. And, like, as people are moving back to Tumblr right now with everything that's going on with Twitter, like, those are the kind of spaces that foster this kind of stuff. Like... I never figured out Tumblr. uh, I never understood Tumblr. (laughs) I, um, one of my cosplay friends, uh, they're... 
a couple of years younger than me, and I was always like, explain the internet to me, I'm an old person. They, yeah. they understood Tumblr, and they always used it, and I was like, okay, what's this weird thing people are talking about, and they explain it to me. I have an idea of how some of the Tumblr stuff works, and yeah, like, people are moving back to Tumblr now with what's happening with Twitter, and you know, so many of these things that happened on LiveJournal and on Tumblr were because, you know, people were able to get into these, like, self-isolated groups, and when you live in a vacuum... Yeah, weird shit happens. Exactly. <clears throat> so we may see another resurgence of it, especially with this pandemic going on. People are turning inwards more than ever and trying to distract themselves. So get yourselves into some sort of media and focus on that instead of what is actually fucking going on in the world because it's shit. Yeah. It's all bad. Yeah. Yeah, kids, just enjoy the stuff you enjoy. Be cool. Don't hurt anybody and we'll all be fine. Yeah. That's it. That's it. It's as easy as that. Don't be a yeah. dick and Don't just enjoy the shit that you like. 100%. That's it for this week. Next week, we get further into the discussions of religion as Nathan explores the moral fiber of God as they're portrayed in the Bible. And it's not a pretty picture when you really think about it. As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story that you want us to cover, want to tell us that we're wrong, you just want to say hi, you can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And to get on the fun, you can come join us on our Discord server. Link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend.